All right, good morning. Um, obviously, if you hear me say, he is risen, you're welcome to say. And I don't know how much we'll say it, but I wanted to test out uh, something because, um, so if I say, Christ the Lord is risen today. Oh my gosh. Thank you. No, I, when we first started FHL, I ran into the building so happy and I, I yelled out, Christ the Lord is risen today. And a room full of people who are new believers looked at me and there was silence and they go, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. And I, like, this pain hit my heart, and I felt so alone. So thank you for that rede- redeeming moment. Christ the Lord is risen today. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> All right. I know I might cry. I felt so alone back then. All right, so um, let's go ahead and pull up the slide, if you will. If you'll turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, 1 through 10. This is the common passage brought uh, on Easter Sunday. And let's go ahead and stand when you found it. And stand for the word of the Lord as we read it together. Matthew 28, verse 1 through 10. All right. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Christ, or Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. <laughs> as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. (laughs) The response is, thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. (laughs) Amen. All right, you may be seated. We'll get that one next year. (laughs) Yeah. Resurrection Sunday. It reminds me of what Jesus, uh, his great-great-great-great-grandfather did. It's that moment where enemies coming against him in Israel and, and the world, even now, enemies coming against, whether it be internally or externally, whether it be as things like fear, depression, to evil in the world. But back in the day, Israel also had enemies coming against them, and Jesus' great-great-great-great-grandfather picked up a stone. And when everything seemed darkest, he threw it 
and it hit the Goliath and he fell to the ground. Like that is what is happening here during the resurrection, that the greatest curse of all, the biggest enemy that humanity faces. I mean, there's a lot of travesty on the earth. We know that. But the greatest one is death. And for Jesus to fling that stone and destroy death, the greatest Goliath of all, it means exactly what it meant back in the day. When the moment the Goliath fell, all the enemies turned and fled. And the Israelites gave chase to them. It's the same idea that when death falls, if this man, this resurrected man, can defeat death, the worst enemy of all, it means that whatever problems you're having, internally, externally, whatever you're reading on the news, whatever great pang of your heart, it means that Jesus will chase it down and restore all things. It isn't just that a man rose from the dead. It's that his strength and his power is great enough to defeat all the enemies. Um, <laughs> amen. Um, so I wanted to go a little deeper than that. And today, um, my title, actually, if you go back one, is um, The Resurrected Man. Like, what does it mean that he's the resurrected man? What does it mean for us? And I want to go a little bit deeper than just that he rose from the dead. Because if I told you, you know, pick a name, I don't know, Larry. Larry rose from the dead, right? Like, everyone would be pretty happy about that, I guess, unless Larry was Hitler, right? Like, and then it'd be like, well, is it good that he rose from the dead? Is it bad that he rose from the dead? Like, you know, like, it's great that he overcame death, but what does that mean for me? And what does Larry plan to do now that he rose from the dead? You know, and the same, I think a lot of, like, non-Christians think about that. Like, they know we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, but what does that mean for us? What is the plan and the purposes of his heart and his intention? And so, um, keep going to the next slide. I want to say that the Bible actually calls him, um, one of the terms, they don't call him the resurrected man in the Bible, but they call him the firstborn of the dead. And what does that mean? A few times in scripture, he's called that. And for us, that means, and in scripture, that means that the resurrected man or the firstborn of the dead, he gets the inheritance. He's the firstborn. Right back in the Exodus, Jesus, uh, God actually told the Israelites that the firstborn gets the inheritance. And so, for God to look at Jesus and to raise him from the dead, what God is saying is, "You get the inheritance, you get it all." And for us, that's really good news, because we look at the world right now and we're like, "Who's controlling America? Who's controlling the media? Who's controlling the internet? Who's controlling, you know, this that? Who controls my kids? Who's controlling like?" All this stuff, and at the end of the day, Jesus is the firstborn. He gets it. He gets the inheritance. And God actually gives him the scroll, gives him this to break the seals, because that is his inheritance, is the world. He's the firstborn of the dead. Secondly, that we will be made like him. Joseph talked about this. When you talk about firstborn of the dead, it means there's going to be a secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn, fifthborn. I don't know, you might be number like 1,300,000 and whatever born. But <laughs> like, it means that when Jesus rose from the dead, we get this hope that we will as well. And those that we miss will come back. 
But that even that as Jesus walked the earth, we get a picture of what it's like to be risen from the dead. Like Jesus, when he rose from the dead, Joseph mentioned this a few weeks ago, but uh, one of the most glorious things about his resurrected body is that he ate. <laughs> Everyone's like, yes. <laughs> he ate food. We're still going to be eating when we rise from the dead. Uh, and then he hung out with people. He walked on the road, so we'll still be walking. And then he goes through doors, but he also goes through walls. Right? Like, that's what the scripture talks about. Like, he is the firstborn of the dead. Many will come after him and walk in that same way. I just picture, um, because there's a story where Jesus is walking with a bunch of people down Emmaus after he rose from the dead. He's chalking. They're thinking he's a regular dude. And suddenly he vanishes. Right? Like, that's actually going to be a reality because he's the firstborn of the dead, which means one day I'll be walking with Becca in the kingdom to come, and I'll be talking, and I'll look over, and she's gone, and I'm like, oh, where did she go? You know? <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of those same principles. He's the firstborn of the dead, and there's many coming after him. Um, we get that new body. I know, how many of you guys want a, new, a renewed body? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Like, that's the longing and the hope of the resurrection. That Jesus, though, uh, some of us watched the Passion of Christ the other day, and his body was just torn up, torn up. Like, praise God, he didn't come back, still torn up. Like, he got a new body, a renewed body, like everything. I was thinking about this the other day, because I'm watching um, my mom get older, and it's pretty cute at times, but sometimes, like, we, even though it's natural, and we've kind of adjusted to it, getting old is n- overarchingly not that cool, <laughs> you know, or not that cute. <laughs> you know, the wrinkles of white hair, the achy bones, the going a little bit slower, the shuffling, like praise. <laughs> we love it. We're, we, we're like, you know, but we don't look at it with despair and we don't look at it with like, if we have no hope, then yes, it is a despairing thing. It is a very sad thing. But man, one day, like, I'm going to see my mom as God intended in the first creation, like, renewed in a beauty, like, like, the Bible actually talks about it, that we right now are like seeds, the Bible says, and that when we die, we're planted. And you look at a seed, and, and Weston will tell you, seeds are not that impressive. But when they're planted, and when they come into fruition, it's beautiful, Like, we have no idea the beauty and the majesty that God has prepared for us in our bodies, in the kingdom to come, because he has risen. Yeah. (laughs) And all the older people are like, yay. Praise the Lord. Amen to that. Even young people need new bodies. So I want to kind of understand, like, for the disciples who saw Jesus, as that passage says, they fell on his feet and worshiped him. Like, what was going through their heart? What was going through their mind? And I want to propose that it's different than a lot of what we Gentiles think. Like, for those disciples, seeing Jesus alive was a monumental confirmation. It was a monumental validation. It was a monumental 
this is the guy that will fulfill all the laws and the prophets. He is the Messiah. They didn't look at him when he rose from the dead and be like, oh, praise the Lord. Now we get to say a prayer, accept him in our hearts, and live a better life. Like That was not at all their thought process. Their thought process wasn't like, he's going to get us into heaven one day. Like That was not at all what they were thinking when they saw him rise from the dead. When they fell at his feet, they grabbed his feet. Like You can imagine tears. You can imagine just the, the yelling and the the falling face down, what they were realized and were confirmed in was that Jesus is the Messiah, which means that he will soon return, that this man who resurrected from the dead, will, he will punish the wicked, he will reward the righteous, he's going to set up an everlasting kingdom in Jerusalem, he's going to restore creation to its original glory. That's what they were excited about. In fact, Paul talks to a bunch of Greek philosophers in the book of Acts. You can go to the next slide. And he said, he, God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Like that was it. That was the evidence. Because he's raised from the dead, this is the man that will judge the world. This is the man that's going to straighten every crooked path, that everything broken will be restored, everything lost will be brought back. This is the man who will fix everything internally from the depth of the sin of our hearts to the external issues of nations and governments and politics, from global warming to like LGBTQ. All these issues that we look at, we're like, who can fix it? Because he's risen. It's confirmation that this is the man who will do it. God has given us evidence. He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so this is the Messiah. Go to the next slide here. So this resurrected man, indeed, he is the Messiah. He's, and that word Messiah actually means anointed one, which we never say anointed one nowadays. Like, um, but we might say appointed one, which is similar, right? Uh, back in the day, you know, uh, people would, if they were anointed, they'd pour oil on them. But nowadays, we just kind of give them a contract or something like that. They're appointed for this job, right? And so this is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the appointed one. And he rose from the dead, yea, to do what at the end of the day? And so Jewish and, and Gentile thought is very different about the Messiah. And I want to talk a little bit about why. If you go to the next slide. Uh, we Gentiles mostly think about the Messiah and the anointed one as a guy who will do spiritual things in our hearts. He'll be international, like he will go to all the nations, tribes, and tongues, fixing hearts. <laughs> and <laughs> well, that's mostly what we think, right? And then he'll be meek, almost hippie-ish meek, right, is what we think. And then he'll rid us of sin, right? Yes and amen to all these things, right? But the Jewish thought of their Messiah has always been, and they study him so deeply, is that as they read the Torah, as they read the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, they realized that he's going to be a political figure. He is going to be a national Israel leader figure. 
but he will be, they don't think meek, lowly. Actually, that kind of offended them back in the day, right? Like they thought of him as coming to be a warrior king. And the biggest thing is that he'll rid us of our enemies. Mostly they were thinking physical. Is that true? Who's right? Yes to all. Jesus will do it all. Like, and that's the exciting thing, that he's not just Jesus in my heart. He will be Jesus of the nations. The book of Revelation says, Hallelujah, the kingdoms of the earth now belong to our God and King. Right? And so, um, Jewish thought that the Messiah will bring political, universal peace and prosperity. Israel will be delivered. I just like read somewhere in the news, like yesterday or something like that, that in the last like 24 hours, there were like 48 rockets shot at Israel from like Syria to Lebanon, which is north, Syria to the east, and then Gaza to the south. I mean, like we might not understand the need <laughs> for a physical, political, like warrior king as much as they do, because they're looking at all these missiles firing at them, 40 some in like 24 hours. And they're like, yeah, we need a savior, right? We need a king, a warrior king to rid us of our enemies. He will do it all. Uh, I actually want to merge the two together because this is going to be a pop quiz. I'm, I didn't know the answer to this, so I saw the Bible, but maybe um, Brittany will know because she's a Nazarene. But <laughs> just love picked on you. You did good on the Bible quiz. Um, but that prophecy of a donkey, right? Behold, he shall come riding on a colt. What comes right after that? Like, we all know the colt prophecy. We all know the donkey prophecy. But what is this donkey man supposed to do? Let's go to the next slide. Yeah. Ooh, by the way, I discovered clip art. (laughs) So let's try Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a fallow donkey. That part we understand. But the next part is this same donkey riding man will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The story of the donkey riding guy, the resurrected man, must end with dominion from sea to sea. Like, literally, we are living right here after this period, dot, like right here. (laughs) We have not yet seen. It has been, but not yet. And we can have the same assurance that as assuredly as Jesus fulfilled every prophecy about his first coming, that he would ride on a donkey that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would do this, as we have full rested assurance that his dominion will go from sea to sea and that he will, uh, the battle bow shall be cut off and he'll do it. You know, um, his dominion will go from sea to sea. Like that is the hope that we should be actually burning with as we look at the resurrected man. Not the hope of I get to go to heaven and play a harp one day, 
But as we think about the resurrection of Jesus, burning within us should be the hope that his dominion then must go from sea to sea. He will do it. And that is actually the threat as well to the world. Like China doesn't persecute Christians because they're nice people. Have you ever thought about that? China doesn't look at churches underground and be like, wow, they are being too nice. Let's kill them. (laughs) You know, that's not their thought. Their thought as it was in the days of Rome and the first persecution broke out is this. They're following a resurrected man. He's still alive, they believe, and his dominion is going from sea to sea. Like he's going to take over China. They don't like that. (laughs) They'll feel free, yes. And not just that, but these people who are living in China, they will obey China's government until the greater and better kingdom that they live for contradicts it. They will not follow orders blindly because they belong to another kingdom. The Romans, same thing. Why did they kill them? They wanted them to burn incense to Caesar, and they wouldn't do it. In essence, they wouldn't pledge allegiance to Caesar. Their allegiance was to the lamb that was slain. That's why they persecute Christians all across the world. And we have never experienced that until soon. (laughs) Because there's a new allegiance being formed, even in America, an allegiance to secular agenda, an allegiance to the flag of liberal agenda, Like, even to, like, LGBTs, there's flags all over the short north, and if you don't bow to it, right now they're just going to go... But there's an allegiance that all Christians are going to have to decide. Kingdom, resurrected man, son of David, or this. Right? Like, because his dominion will go from sea to sea. And we believe even now, like, no matter what allegiances, be it the king of Babylon to the LGBT flag, whatever it may be that we need to bow to, or told that we need to bow to, we still hold on. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, we know that his dominion will go from sea to sea. And we have that hope. Right? We know it won't be forever that all will give an account to this resurrected man. Um, Go to the next slide here. He shall have dominion, even Psalms talks about it, from sea to sea and from river to river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations will serve him. And I I love that because it's like Jesus rose from the dead. Everyone's like, yay. But it also means that everyone must then bow. Like we must. And that's why we feel that persecution, sometimes within our own families, to society, to whatever, because the dominion of Christ is encroaching upon our households, encroaching upon our cities, encroaching upon our schools. Right? And all must bow. All must bow. Um, yeah. So going to, uh, let me see. I don't know. I'll make sure I go to the next slide because I can't remember. Right. Okay. So the millennial kingdom. Actually, that's what the domain from C to C is talking about. 
It's actually talking about not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but that he's establishing a dominion. He's establishing a kingdom. And, and theologians call it the millennial kingdom. Right? Millennial just means 1,000. Don't get chipped up by the name. It's just 1,000 years. And the Bible actually talks many, many, many times about a thousand-year reign, a millennial kingdom where God himself will rule and reign. Um, you can go to the next slide. I just want to throw this in here for those of you guys who are like, when? You know, how? Like, now that he's rose from the dead, what's next? That's a good question. What's next? Right? Revelation 19 the second coming. Revelation 20, the millennial kingdom, where Christ himself rules and reigns on the earth from Jerusalem. Revelation 20, the final judgment. And then Revelation 21, the new creation. You know, it's kind of interesting because most Christians will say number one, number three, number four are sequential. And then they'll somehow think number two like the millennial kingdom can be placed here or there. But if you just read the, the scriptures consistently, like if you just read it as is, Jesus actually says, and then, and then, and then, right? So we're talking about the millennial kingdom. And I, I encourage us, like, just as a spiritual family, like, actually study the millennial kingdom. Don't, don't push it to the side and be like, that's just PhD Christian stuff. Like, God actually talks so much about the kingdom to come. He talks about the lion laying down next to the lamb. He talks about rewards. He talks about, like, feasts that will happen. He talks about actually how, like, um, we'll eat fatty meats. Like, there's so much detail that God goes about in the millennial kingdom. Why? Because he wants to stir our hearts. Because it's such a sad thing to only know this earth and this age. Like, I know... I know, like, there's so much anxiety. There's so much depression out there. What if it's because our hope and our roots were thinking mostly just about these 70 years? What if we were created and made to hope for a kingdom and to long for a kingdom whose builder and maker is not, is not man but God? And if we start to think about that more than we think about the misery of our current life, would that not bring about a hope of the coming the hope of the coming that gives life, right? So the hope of the millennial kingdom, um, the Bible actually talks about, If you, you can actually flip to it. Go ahead and flip to it. How about that? So that you know I'm not fibbing. Revelation 19 and 20. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to it. And it's a really long passage, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I actually encourage you to read it on your own. Give you guys a few seconds. And you can actually glaze over it yourself as you turn to Revelation 20. Um, around 19 and, and the beginning parts of 20 and 21. So if you look through that passage, what does it actually say will happen in the millennium? If you go to the next slide. If you look at those scriptures, it actually says that the resurrected man, Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, he will remove Satan in that kingdom. It says in Revelation 22-3, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him to the bottomless pit and shut him up. <laughs> like, I love that part. Like, it wasn't enough just to throw him in the bottomless pit where nobody can get him. Like, he actually shuts him up. 
Like, praise the Lord. We don't know how much the chatter. <laughs> yes, Mount, no fake news. But he shuts him up. And then another huge part, if you read that passage, is that the saints will reign with him, reign with Jesus in his kingdom from Jerusalem. It says, um, the meek shall inherit the earth. I don't know about you guys, but I was, I was like taught that um, the earth would blow up. Was anyone else like taught that, that we're just going to get a new earth entirely? Nobody was? It was just me? But anyway, I thought that the earth was just going to blow up and we're starting a new one, like on some other planet or something like that. That's what I was taught, right? Um, but praise the Lord, that's not the truth. Yeah, like Star Wars or something. But, um, like, praise the Lord, that's not true, because the meek will inherit the earth. That's the promise, even in the Sermon on the Mount. How silly it is if the Lord were to give the meek the earth and then blow it up. It's like a dad gives somebody a gift and blows it up, right? Like, that's, the meek shall inherit it. It's an eternal thing, right? Um, verse, if you go to the next slide, there's more verses talking about the saints reigning and being on the earth, with the resurrected Christ. It actually says, they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Revelation 20 through four, 24. Another verse says, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. <laughs> like, if there is any theological issue with this, if anyone tells you we're just going to go to heaven and live in heaven and harps, or it's going to be like Star Wars or whatever, like we need a new planet, like, no, we shall reign on the earth. Like, who's, and it says, well, that will reign just nations too. There will be nations and those will be people. Like I think about this sometimes, like who is going, when Jesus comes back, well, okay, I'll give this example. Whether it be Biden or Trump, I remember um, when Trump became um, president, of course, like a lot of like chaos erupted, like, right? But I remember like uh, he was on Trump Tower and I don't know if you guys remember this reading the news, but there would be people summoned to his elevator. <laughs> and like he would, they would go up the elevator and then they would come back down the elevator with like new jobs. <laughs> like, basically, they would, he would invite people like Elon Musk or he would invite people like da 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 da, like even like from politicians to CEOs to movie stars. And they, you would see them, there's all these security in front of the elevator after he won the election, and they would go up the elevator, and you were like, what are they chatting about? And they'd come down, and you find out that he was, this person was appointed this role, or this person was appointed that role. Like, it will be something similar when Jesus returns. When he comes, and the government of the earth now belongs to him, he is going to appoint, because there's going to be people who rule and reign with him. Like, who, I wonder, will be appointed by Jesus to run America? Who will be appointed by Jesus to run China? Who will be appointed by Jesus to fix the climate issues? Who will be appointed by Jesus to run the education systems? Like Jesus will actually be a man who sets up, and it says in the scriptures that the meek and the lowly ones, that he knows the hearts of man and that he will elevate them and they shall inherit the earth. 
Can you imagine working in a company knowing full well that your boss above you is more meek and lonely than you are? With the full confidence because Jesus is reigning on the throne. Right? So, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 1 Corinthians. Like, the Bible actually talks about in the millennial kingdom that everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers, mother, wives, children, or lands for his namesake will receive a hundredfold in that kingdom. It actually admonishes us as a people, like, don't store up treasures for yourself here. Don't do it. Store up for yourself treasures when, during that time, for that kingdom, right? And God even encourages us as we feel the injustice of the world. He says, God is not unjust as to forget your labor. Like, that you have ministered to the saints, that he will reward it all in the kingdom to come. Let's go to the next slide, and this is actually the final slide. So what does the millennium mean? This is a quote from Wes Hall. So what does the millennium mean for our lives right now? An average person's lifespan is about 70 years, which is a drop in the bucket compared to 1,000 years. However, the short lifespan is the time God has given us to be tested, trained, and prepared for our 1,000-year assignment to come. There is continuity between this present days and future millennial kingdom. Our rewards will matter in the millennium. Our expectation of those days should stir us to do good works. This is what the disciples primarily longed for when they saw him come out of the grave. Not a better life, not a happier inside, but a renewed everything. A renewed everything. Like, I just want to take a moment, like, just let's take it down to the tangible. What's something in your life that you feel is very unjust right now? It's very hard. It could be a broken relationship. It could be someone who has passed away. It could be um, something that is internal, like wrestling with fear and anxiety. It could be your work. It could be rebellious kids. It could be brokenness from the past that someone has mistreated you in. Like, what unjust thing can this Resurrection Sunday, can we bring before the Lord and look at the resurrected man, the firstborn and the dead, and know that this man will fix it? This man will redeem all things, and his dominion will go from sea to sea. That we long for the dominion of God. Let's just take a moment to long for the dominion of God. Long for the dominion of this resurrected man, that the same man who overcame death itself will overcome every issue. Every issue. Just take a moment, identify a few things, and let's just ask for the dominion of God. God, you said your dominion will go from sea to sea. This guy who rode on the donkey will also extend his leadership from sea to sea.